path, we introduce the new section of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 through chapter 11, verse 1. We indicated that the section is a summation of the two topics the apostle had discussed in the preceding chapters. The first one, food offered to idols that involve idolatry. The second has to do with right the one one has in Christ. Now in this section, we have specific instructions regarding how one deals with meat sacrificed to idols in the temples. Now, so, there are things that the apostle went into detail that we will go into, but uh, based on the initial summary I gave at the first half, I gave you the message that is applicable to us in this passage, which is that you, you use your freedom in Christ in such a way to advance the spiritual needs of others. That you use your freedom in Christ in such a way to advance the spiritual needs of others. I say that requires three responsibilities on our part as believers. So the first responsibility is that you should understand that not everything that you have the right to do helps others spiritually, but you are required to seek the good of others. Now there are two parts to that responsibility. The first part is of course understanding that everything that you have right to do may not help other people. I mean spiritually of course. Now this is based on the statement of verse 23, everything is permissible. So we went through that there are two kinds of problems with that statement. Whether, first of all, whether it is a quotation or a statement. And as some take it as a statement, as you find in such English versions as the King James Version or the New American Standard Bible. Others take it as a quotation that the apostle was quoting the Corinthians. Now again, even that is exactly what he is quoting or who is he quoting. But most commentators take that as a quotation. That's why, as you find it in an IV, when it says everything is permissible, they are, that is in quotation marks. So, we begin to look at the word everything because I indicated that many, many times when people see the word every or all, because the Greek really says all things are permissible. So, when people say the word all, they immediately assume the totality of something. And I said, that wouldn't have been uh, that painful except that it causes people to be, if we use the technical word, technolo- I mean, they become theologically wrong. 
For example, I gave you an example that many people say, well, God is omnipotent. That means God can do anything or everything. And I say, no, that's not correct. And I showed you in the first half why, that there at least, even from theologians who study these things, they give you an example. Does it mean if, he, if God can do everything in theory, he could create a being that is not under his control, in theory? Or that if he can do everything in theory, he can also sin, which again will be contrary to his nature. So based on that, we said, well, the best thing to say is that God can do anything he wills according to his nature. Anything he wills according to his nature. Now, so with that in mind, we say that the problem of all things are permissible is similar then to that concept of omnipotence, how people think about it. But then we say there's another very important passage that I spend time in because people, they hear of election and they say it cannot be true. And they quote you the passage I spent some time in, Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9. They say, don't you see? He said, God is not willing for anyone to be saved, I mean to, be, to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And I went through to show you that if the word is, the Greek word is correctly translated all, all through that verse, that it will mean some or certain ones are the ones he's not willing for them to perish. And therefore all of them, all of those certain ones, that is all the elect, will be saved. And that, what that means is that if it is properly explained, and that is why sometimes, I don't know, you don't need to argue too much with people, they just want to quote the Bible. They don't really know what it means or understand the detail of what it is. Because sometimes the way it appears in English is not exactly what it is. That's why we need people with the training and so forth to do that. So, here, we went and began to show you in various passages that the word all must be determined by the context before you interpret it. So, I've shown you certain passages and, uh, and one of them I cited before the break, which is John chapter 1 verse 3. And that's exactly where we begin our second session. John chapter 1 verse 3 reads, Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. Now the phrase here, all things, refers to the totality of creation. Totality of creation. Now, of course, eventually when we get to... uh, 1 Corinthians 15, we say, we say we, all things, he said all things under uh, God, uh, until Christ brings everything or all things under his control. He said it doesn't include God. We'll get to that, but it's still a long way. But anyway, here, Apostle Paul also used the Greek word in Galatians 4 verse 1. 
So um, I keep emphasizing that what we're trying to establish is that whenever you read the Bible and you see the word all, don't assume totality. Read the context several times and see if you can figure out what that all is in the context. So here it says, what I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. And you look at that and you hear me say, oh, I don't see the word all here. Yeah, right. See, the sentence, he owns the whole estate, is literally from the Greek, he is master of all things. That's the way the Greek actually reads. He is master of all things. So, in this context of Galatians 4, the phrase all things refers to everything that a man owns. Hence, the translators of the NIV gave a good interpretation when they translated using holy state. Because it means everything the man owns. The apostle also used our Greek word in his epistle to Titus. In Titus chapter 1 verse 15. Titus Titus chapter 1 verse 15. Again, like I explained to you in the first half, my what I just want to establish clearly is that fact that all doesn't always mean all in absolute sense. Here I reads, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and conscience are corrupted. Now notice where I say, To the pure, all things are pure. All things just think about it. All things, if it's totality, that means including sin. Totality, all things. Now anyway, the phrase, all things, here in Titus, is really a reference to food. This interpretation is supported by what the apostles stated in Romans chapter 14, verse 20. Romans chapter 14, verse 20. Now hold on to Romans. Um, we'll be in picking some few verses here. Romans chapter 14, verse 20. It is, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. So that sentence, all food is clean, is more literally, all things indeed appear. That's the, that's the Greek phrase. All things indeed appear. Now the Greek phrase, so rendered is similar to that used in Titus 1 verse 15. The only difference is that the word indeed, not translated in the NIV, 
that is inserted between the two Greek words translated all things and pill. Thus, for all practical purposes, the Greek phrase in both uh, passages is the same. Now, it is true that the word food does not appear in the Greek of Romans chapter 14, verse 20, but the context suggests the insertion of the word food as found in the NIV, since the last phrase of the first sentence of verse 20 reads, For the sake of food, because of that, it's proper to use the word food. Furthermore, the preceding context of verse 20 indicates the apostle had in mind the question of clean or unclean food as stated in Romans chapter 14, look at verse 14. Romans 14 verse 14 reads, As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. Now the context of Romans 14 verse 20 is concerned with the ceremonial aspect of the Mosaic law which is similar to the context of Titus 1 verse 15. Consequently, since the same Greek phrase is used in both Titus 1 15 and Romans 14 20, we are then correct in our interpretation that all things in Titus even though it doesn't say there that all things here refer to food. So that the things that are, it means all food are clean. Not every other thing, just all food. So the examples we have uh, cited should then convince you that the phrase all things should not always be taken in absolute sense without reference to the context. Now hence, although the apostle was the Corinthians who misapplied what is given in the sentence that we are considering. He wanted them at least to recognize the limitation of the meaning of the Greek word he used in the quotation as not meaning any and everything but limited in application as we will note later in our study. But let us Turn on our attention now to the second to the expression. I said we have looked at a word and an expression. I've looked at the word all. Now let me come back. Let's look at the expression in that sentence of everything is uh, uh, everything is permissible. Now the key expression the apostle used in the sentence everything is permissible is really that phrase is. Permissible. That verbal phrase is permissible. Now this is translated from a Greek word that may mean to be authorized for the doing of something. To be authorized for the doing of something. So the Greek word has several nuances or meanings. So the word may mean it is right. It could mean it's proper. As it is used in the question of the Jewish authorities that wanted to trap Jesus regarding payment of taxes 
to the Roman government. You know, their duplicity is so uh, alarming that uh, they come in and pretending that they, they were concerned about the Romans. When in reality, we know they weren't. <laughs> they all, so they want to trap Jesus about taxing. So this is how we find that used in Mark chapter 12, verse 14. Mark. Mark chapter 12, verse 14. Mark chapter 12, verse 14 reads, They came to him and said, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. <laughs> now you see, there's a, some of these things, are, uh, things that if you are a believer, you, you should understand this. People who want something from you are going to flatter you. Just remember that. So when a lot of time when you hear people commending you, you be very, very careful. You know, thinkers see what they want. There's something. They look at this people, but they, you know, their duplicity is so obvious. They say, we know you're a man of integrity, really. You aren't swayed by men. Because you pay no attention to who they are. I mean, everything they said is right, but they were flattering. Forgetting they're dealing with the, the God-man. He said, but you teach the will of God in accordance with truth. And I say, it's it's an ordinary human being. Oh yeah, he's been popped up. Or you have been, you know, somebody has just built you up. And now they hit you with whatever it is. After being built up, you can let them down. So you you agree whatever it is. But they're dealing with the God man. So he says, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? After building, of course, we read the rest. uh, The Lord gave him an answer that stopped them anyway. So when the context though suggests that there is a reference to the law, the Greek word has the meaning of to be lawful. So that's why here, uh, although here it's in the passage I just read, it's translated right, it is right. But uh, if it is the law is involved, then it means to be lawful, as it is used primarily in the gospel. For example, it is with this meaning to be lawful that the word is used to describe Jesus' question to the Pharisees and the experts in law before he healed a man with dropsy. Dropsy. That's a kind of uh, condition that involves uh, swollen limbs resulting from the accumulation of fluid in the body tissues. Especially the legs. So, before he healed a man with dropsy, as reported in Luke verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 3, he used a word. Luke. Luke chapter 14, verse 3. Luke chapter 14, verse 3. Reads, Jesus asks the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Here is the same Greek word that is translated, is permissible, but here it's 
translate lawful. Now, when the context suggests that it is Roman law, the word there may mean something like to be legal, to be legal, as that is the way the word is used to report Paul's question to the Roman army commander when he ordered for him to be flogged, as narrated in Acts chapter 22, verse 25. Acts and hold on to Acts once you get it. Acts chapter twenty-two, verse twenty-five. It is as they stretched him out to flog him. Paul said to the centurion standing there. Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? Same Greek word. But here, because we're dealing with Roman law, the, the meaning has to be, is it legal? Now the word may also mean, is it permitted or is it permissible? As that is the meaning in which Apostle Paul, speaking of himself and the third person, Indicated that he was not permitted or authorized to write down what he heard when he was taken to the third heaven or the paradise, according to Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse four. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter twelve verse four. It reads was caught up to paradise. That's the third heaven. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. In other words, there are things God should Paul, once he took him to the third heaven and he was not allowed to write them down so that's why he says it's not permissible to tell now the Greek word may mean to be within the range of possibility hence mean it is possible it is possible as the word is used to describe what apostle Peter said during his sermon on the day of Pentecost as recorded in Acts go back to Acts now chapter 2 verse 29 <coughs> Acts chapter 2 verse 29 he said brothers I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. That sentence, I can tell you confidently, is more literally from the Greek, it is possible to speak 
with confidence. That's the very great grace. It is possible to speak with confidence, as that's the way it is reflected in the Lexham English Bible. Now, in our context of 1 Corinthians 10 23, the sense of the word is really to be permissible, that is, to be allowed, especially according to a rule or custom. So, the key word then, and the key expression that we have considered allowed us to recognize that when the apostle wrote in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 23, everything is permissible, he meant that those who he quoted should recognize that to be free to do anything is limited to what conforms to God's word, not everything. Even if it is approved by the society at large. So what he's talking about is what is what conforms to the word of God. So when he says everything is permissible, he's not talking about any and everything. He's only talking about those things that conform to the word of God, regardless of what the society at large approves. Now we can understand that. Uh, we're living in a, a, a good example of the time where the society are, is continuously approving things that are contrary to the Bible. Now it's now a law in the United States of all places. Same sex marriage is not illegal. <laughs> Everywhere. Well, I mean, the point, my point though, is just because the society says it's right, doesn't mean it's right. It's permissible, they, you know, so Paul is I'm not talking about those kind of things. So, although the society says that, we can go with society. And again, I keep reminding us, what that means is, when you stand in those, on the ground of what the scripture says, you're going to be viewed as a stranger. And you should wear that label proudly. Because the Bible tells us believers are strangers on this planet. And as I've said many times, our problem is we don't want to be cast out. We don't want to be left out. So we want to belong. And therefore we compromise. We don't want to suffer. Therefore we compromise. And I keep bringing this point up so that you understand the challenges that we all face. And if you haven't faced it, keep living, you will. Generally, I'm sure most of you are fascinated. Some of you just ignore it. Because you just don't want people to think badly about you. You're more concerned about your image, which means you're in idolatry, than you are concerned about uh, God's word. So the society may approve something, but that doesn't mean it's right in keeping with the word of God. Therefore, we contend then that the apostle was thinking strictly on the things that conform to God's word, as what those he quoted are free to do. In other words, he's talking about you are free to do everything that conforms to the word of God, not anything. Now, he could not possibly mean anything that is sinful, especially as he has taught believers that believers have been set free from sin, as we read in Romans. Chapter 6, verse 22. 
Uh, of course, uh, put, still put your mark up, uh, in Acts, because I'm going to come back to Acts anyway. Romans 6 verse 22. Romans chapter 6 verse 22 reads, But now that you have been set free from sin, I have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. So the point is that the apostle never intended to convey that a believer is free to do anything even if if it is not sinful. That's his point. Even if it is not sinful, you still not he says, you're still not free to do anything you want. So it's only, I mean, it's not only that the apostle did not mean to convey that the Corinthians are free to do anything that is in accordance with the word of God, but he also conveyed that not everything that they are free to do will be of immense benefit to others. Because he probably was thinking of himself as an example of what he stated in the next uh, sentence of 1 Corinthians 10.23 when he said, But not everything is beneficial based on the things he stated in the ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians that we have already considered. Now, now this closing is first of the two clauses when it says, uh, but not everything is beneficial. That's one of the first two clauses that help us in understanding the first part of the first responsibility that you have regarding the message of First Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 23 through chapter 11, verse 1, as that we're starting. Again, the first responsibility is this. You should understand that not everything you have right to do helps others spiritually, but you are required to seek the good of others. You see, one of the things uh, that causes problems is when you have a society where people are not kind of affected by what others look at and see, then the problem is it causes a lot of moral decay. Because there are some things that people they want to do, but they're kind of just afraid of what others will be thinking. They're not sinful, so they cannot leave it alone. But when you don't have that kind of uh, frowning, at, and people frown at certain things, then people do whatever they want to do. So the apostle is trying to say, we're talking about even the things that are good. The things that are not sinful. Even then, you have to remember, uh, you may be free to do it, but if you did it, will it benefit you or will it benefit others? Even though there's nothing simple about it. So that begins to tell you about this spiritual life we're all living in. It's not something that simple. Because you have to juggle a lot of teaching of truth in order to know what you're doing. So you say, oh, I can do that. Yeah, you may. You're free. It's not sinful. 
does he, is he benefiting to others spiritually or you? So that's what the apostle is dealing with here. Now, all the same, the expression is beneficial in uh, the clause, but not everything is beneficial. It's translated from a Greek word that may mean to bring together specially into a heap as it is used to describe those who in Ephesus were involved in magical arts but upon their compassion gathered together their magical books into a heap to be burned as narrated in Acts chapter 19 verse 19. Acts Acts chapter 19 verse 19 Now put your uh, stay put your marker in that Acts 19 because I'm going to go one more passage and I'll come right back to Acts Acts chapter 19 verse 19 reads A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly when they calculated the value of the scrolls the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Now, brought together it really means to bring into a heap. Now, the Greek word may mean to be advantageous with several meanings. So, it may mean to be good or to confer a benefit. As it is used to record the Lord Jesus' statement to his disciples, to indicate his living this world will be beneficial to them. In John chapter 16 verse 7. John 16. John 16 verse 7. It is, but I tell you, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So here, the word is translated to be good. The word may mean to be profitable or helpful or useful. As in Apostle Paul's declaration, to the Ephesians, I mean to the Ephesians in Acts chapter 20, verse 20. Acts Acts chapter 20, verse 20. It is, you know, that I have not hesitated to preach anything that will be helpful to you. We have taught you publicly and from house to house. He didn't know we told anything. He told the truth. Now the Greek word may mean to be gained, as Apostle Paul used it in describing the fact that although there's nothing for him to gain by boasting 
about God's dealings with him. Nevertheless, he did so. As he states in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 1. Second Corinthians chapter 12 verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 1. It reads, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 23, the word means to be advantageous. To be advantageous in the sense of being useful or helpful. So in any case, the apostle intended to convey to us that we should be careful in what we do even when sin is not involved. In effect, we should be thoughtful of what we do by recognizing that not everything that we do or have the right to do that is not sinful would be useful or helpful to us or to other people. The apostle had already provided examples of this in that what he has already written so far in this epistle of uh, epistle to the Corinthians. An illustration of something that is lawful but may not be useful or helpful the apostle had already referenced is marriage. That's one, one, of, one of the things. Now, there are certain situations being married may not be helpful or useful. Now, the apostle gave a general example of this in his advice to the unmarried not to marry because of the difficult situation that some in Corinth were facing, as we have studied in detail. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 26 through 29. 1 Corinthians First Corinthians chapter 7, verses 26 through 29. It is because of this, of the present crisis. I think that it's not good for you to remain, I mean, I think it's good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you married? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. I see, there's nothing wrong with being married. In fact, it is God's will for believers to marry 
But marriage may not be useful or helpful under certain conditions of life, such as in economic depression or in a specialized ministry. Now, it is a specialized ministry of Apostle Paul that is in part responsible or is the reason for him being single. Now, his question to the Corinthians indicated he had the right to marry, but he did not use that right as stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. We're going to be switching between seven, chapter 7 and 7 and chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5 reads, Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us as they do all the apostles and the lost brother and sisters. Now it is true the apostle did not say he had the reason he was not married but uh, his writing gives us a good indication of his reason. Now he recognized that he was in an unusual ministry that being married would have hindered his effectiveness and would cause unusual hardship for a wife. Now we say this because he explained that marriage could cause a person not to be devoted to the Lord as the person would when single. As in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, go back to chapter 7. Now look at verses 32 through 34. Now, of course, what I'm going to explain doesn't mean it's usually true, but it ought to be. In other words, if you're in a single state, you should be much more devoted to the Lord than those who are married. If you're in a single state. But it doesn't mean that, you know, if you're not serious with, you know, with the word of God, you will not be. Because here is the thing is, you know, you can, uh, a married woman who has to think about taking care of the husband, cooking and all, whatever it is. Right? If you're single, you devote your time to the, you know, study of the world. You can come home and say, oh, I need to listen to my lessons now. I don't have time yet. And you wind up eating cereal and go to bed. But you can do that if you have a husband. See? Anyway, here is 1 Corinthians 7 verse 32 reads, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. See, you know, every man should, every believing man should be thinking about the wife. How to please the wife. If you're not doing that, you're a failure. Period. I don't miss what about this kind of thing. If you're not thinking about your wife and you're a believer, you're a failure. Abject failure. Verse 34 says, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the law's affairs. 
Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. Same thing I said, if you're a believing wife and you're not pleasing your husband, you're not thinking about how to please, please him, you are an object failure spiritually. Now, thus, while it is lawful to be married, but in certain situations, being married will not be helpful. Even though it is right. So you see, even though something may be useful, I mean right, but it may not be useful or helpful under certain conditions. Now another illustration of something that is lawful but may not be useful or helpful the apostle applied to himself is the right of support during his ministry in certain situations. It is this that he referenced go back to go not to first Corinthians chapter nine, look at verse twelve. First Corinthians chapter nine verse twelve. And once you get chapter nine hold it I'll pick up uh, another verse a couple of verses there. Verse first Corinthians nine twelve reads if others have the right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Now the apostle implied that it would not have been useful for him to receive support from the Corinthians since his intention was to preach the gospel free of charge to them. As he stated in the passage we studied, of course, in the past, the same chapter 9, look, 1 Corinthians 9, look at verses 15 to 18. Verse 15 reads, But I have not used any of these rights, and I am now writing this in the hope that you will, uh, I am not writing this in the hope you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet, when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Now, so with the Corinthians, he didn't receive anything. Now, he did the same thing with the Thessalonians, but the purpose was different. As we can see, his purpose was to show them to be a model of hard work. As we read in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9. Second Thessalonians Second Thessalonians Chapter three verse nine reads We did it that's not receiving support from them. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help. But in order to make ourselves a model for you 
to follow. Mother of all had work. That's why he didn't receive support from them. So to be clear then, the apostle did not refuse all supports. Since he received support from other local churches, this he stated in Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. Second Corinthians Second Corinthians chapter 11 Look at verses 8 through 9 It reads I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you and when I was with you I needed something. I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. The Corinthians, that the that church was so unique in many, many ways. So Paul said, mm, I'm not going to take a dime from you so that you don't confuse the facts. Anyway, the point is that the apostle knew when it was useful to receive support from other local churches, but not from the Corinthians. So anyway, having made his point, that freedom to do what is not sinful may not always be useful, leads then to the last clause of 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, that is the basis for the first part of your responsibility, Regarding the message that we are considering again, which is, you should understand that not everything you have right to do helps others spiritually, but you are required to seek the good of others. Now the last clause then of 1 Corinthians 10.23, that enabled us to derive the first part of the first uh, responsibility that we have stated, is but. Not everything is constructive. Now the verbal phrase uh, is constructive. It's translated from a Greek word that means to build in the sense of to erect a structure as it is used in the Lord's charge against the Jews of his time for building monuments for the prophets that their forefathers killed, as stated in Luke chapter 11, verse 48. Luke Luke chapter 11, verse 48. It is, So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did, they killed the prophets and you build their thumbs. Now the word may mean to help improve ability to function in living responsibly and effectively. Hence it means to strengthen, to strengthen. As it is used to describe the action of the Holy Spirit in the early church recorded in Acts Chapter 9, verse 31. 
Acts 9. Acts chapter 9 verse 31 reads, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened, that's our Greek word, and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it grew in numbers, living in fear of the Lord. Now the word may mean to edify, that's the way it's used in the fourth uh, verse of the First Corinthians chapter four. I'm not going to read uh, chapter fourteen that I'm not going to read. Now the Greek word may mean to build up, build up, in the sense of believers strengthening one another, as the word is used in First Thessalonians chapter five, verse eleven. First Thessalonians. Chapter 5, verse 11. Here it reads, Therefore encourage one another, and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now so, the Greek word, even though it means build, it can also mean to rebuild, and I'm not going to go through that passage, but you can write it down when you go home. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 18, where the word means to rebuild. In our passage of 1 Corinthians 10, 23, the word means to build up in the sense of to help improve a person's moral strength or conscience, or simply to strengthen a person spiritually. Thus, the apostle wants to convey that it is not everything a person is free to do can lead to building up others spiritually. Now, by the way, the meaning constructive of the NIV is not wrong if a person understands the word to mean promoting improvement of development. I mean, improvement of development spiritually. Anyway, the clause, but not everything is constructive, is essentially saying the same thing as the clause, but not everything is beneficial. Although the emphasis of the clause of our focus is on helping someone spiritually. Now, you may be free to do whatever that is not sinful, but you should be careful to understand that while something may not be sinful, but that it may not necessarily help to advance you or another person spiritually. Now, Apostle Paul gave an example of this kind of thing in his teaching to the Romans regarding the matter of eating and drinking. Now, you certainly have the right to eat, drink, whatever you want. But if that's going to cause problem for your fellow believer, you don't do it. That's the whole thing about uh, what the apostle wrote in Romans chapter 14 verses 19 through 21. Romans chapter 14 verses 19 through 21. It says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification, 
Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of God, or for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Now it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Now so I've many times I've explained this using this illustration. I know many people teach it's a sin to drink wine. The Bible doesn't say that. Now, but here's the thing. If you know that if you take a sip and there's a person who calls himself or herself who is a believer, they'll be offended about it because in their mind you're sinning. Then you'll be wrong to do that. For their sake, you don't do it. It's not that it's sinful. It's just for their sake. That's what the Bible requires of us. Now, that's what the, that's the example that I like to use because there, you know, there are places you go. Uh, sometimes missionaries they go to certain places and they see what the natives do. They back off because even though they know this is right, but they will do it just so they don't cause those believers to stumble. So what I'm saying is, you may uh, also have the freedom to say whatever. You want that is not a lie or a gossip. But what you say may not build up another believer. In which case you should avoid doing so. As implied in the instruction given in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. He reads, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, so instead of a talk that will not be, help build up another uh, believer spiritually, it is better then to talk or speak the word of truth to others that will help to build them up since we know that the word of God builds up believers as we read in Acts chapter 20 verse 32. Acts chapter 20 verse 32. It is now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. Look at the next clause. Which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So in any event, the first responsibility regarding the message of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 23 to chapter 11 verse 1 is it? You should understand that not everything you have right to do has other believers spiritually, but you are required to seek the good of others. It is a requirement for all of us. Seek the good of every person in this congregation. That's a requirement. We should do that. We should be so concerned. We I know that some of us we get burnt out of shape. 
As soon as somebody points something that makes us, oh, look at ourselves, we get start being defensive. But that doesn't change the responsibility we have. You should be so concerned about each other to help build each other up so that whatever you do, you, you get guided by that. And so, although you may have right to do something, but just think about how is that going to build this believer up or how is he going to build me up? But more so think first of all your fellow believers. That is the responsibility that is laid for us in this passage. We have just begun to look at it. By the grace of God, we'll continue next week. Let's pray. As we close our study this morning, there may be someone here listening, or someone listening over the internet, that you're not a child of God yet. You may be even baptizing in a church. You may have, as you sometimes say, I've been a Christian all my life. You've been raised in a Christian home, which means you're not saved anyway. You may be such a person. If it is, here's the good news. The fact that you're listening to what we're about to say means that God, in His goodness, in His love, has chosen you to hear this. And this is a very simple message. He loves you. No one loves you like he did. And he does. Now it is because he loves you. That he sent his son Jesus Christ. Who although God. Left heaven. With all his glories. To come. To the world stricken by sin. To live among sinful men. Like you and me. It must have been such a torture really. In a sense. For the son of God. To live among us. Sinful people. Yet he endured all that. So that he can willingly. Go to the cross. Since he came. That's the only reason he came. To die. For my sins and your sins. Now for his death to mean anything. He has to be God. The son of God. So he taught, he did things that prove that he is the son of God. So after all that, they came to arrest him. And those who came with cloths, he asked them the question, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And they all hit the ground. Because God spoke. But he gave them permission. They arrested him. And they made a mock trial and sentenced him to death on the cross. They are on the cross. He was judged for my sins and your sins. His compassion, his love was so much that even in the midst of his sufferings, he looked down on those around the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. You don't know what you're doing to. I don't know what I'm doing to. Yet, he already prayed, forgive us. So, he made a sacrifice. Because he loved you so much. That he doesn't want you to go to hell. Hell is not a picnic. It is not a person, a place where somebody may say, I'm not afraid to go. Because they don't know what what it is like yet. But the Son of God knows what it is. Because he designed it. So he came 
but you don't go there. How? Are you going to escape it? The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. What does it mean to believe? Again, the Bible says, this is written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Believing in Him, you will have life through His name. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the God Himself, who came, died on the cross for your sins, and buried and rose again the third day, and that when He died and resurrected, that your sins have been forgiven. If you believe that, you will receive two things that are necessary for you to be with God forever. You receive eternal life, you will also receive His righteousness, both of which you must have to live with God forever. So believe in Him and escape His coming judgment. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will challenge us to recognize that we have this great responsibility of helping other believers and not to think mostly about what pleases us, but what will help us to help other believers. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen.